Lord, we come now to your word, the word of the all-sufficient Christ. Because your word is sufficient, we pray that the Spirit would come and do his work through your word among us. I pray that this text of scripture, this gospel, would not come to us in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Holy Spirit, answer the prayer of Paul in this book of 1 Thessalonians as we come to this passage. In Christ's name, amen. Andy, if you could set the clock for me. All God's people shouted. I've traveled twice uh, with Pastor Dan and others to Sierra Leone, and it was in so many different ways for me an an eye-opener. Such a need for pastoral training, such a need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be honest with you, such a need for just the basics food and shelter. One of the things that I noticed in visiting Sierra Leone is that they don't take anything for granted. They especially don't take for granted the provision of a meal. They don't waste anything. I remember our driver, we were eating out, and I had chicken, and I finished my chicken, I was done with my chicken, and he asked me, can I have the bones? And he ate the bones. And it was an eye-opener for me. We need physical food and sustenance in order to live. It is the common denominator for all of humanity. I mean, if we don't sleep, if you stop sleeping, you die. If you stop drinking, you die. Eventually, if you stop eating, you die. We have such great physical needs. And the, but the way that God has designed the universe in his created order. All of these physical needs are really a picture, a living illustration of our deepest spiritual needs. So physical hunger is a symbol of the substance, the reality of spiritual hunger. And we see this in our passage this morning as we continue our exposition in the book of Luke. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to that place. Turn to Luke chapter 9 and find verse 10. Luke chapter 9, 
verse 10. We'll read this account of the feeding of the 5,000 from verses 10 through 17, which will be our text this morning. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking themselves, taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up. Twelve baskets full. As we continue the exposition of the book of Luke, remember in Luke chapter 9, this is the end of the ministry up north. This is the end of the Galilean ministry. And Jesus, in the middle of this chapter, right towards the middle to the end of this chapter, will turn his eyes to Jerusalem and set his focus upon the cross. But now, as he ends this Galilean ministry, he is really turning his attention away from the crowds and to the twelve, and even to three within the twelve. And he's training the twelve. And the focus of that training is built upon the question, who am I? Who do you say that I am? The focus in all of John chapter 9 that Jesus wants his disciples to grasp and all of us to grasp is who is Jesus Christ and what has he come to do? And so as we unpack this, this passage of the feeding of the 5,000, the text is leading us in the direction of implications for our life and ministry, the training of the 12, and implications about our great salvation, the person and work of Christ. And so we're going to go after both implications as we unpack 
the truth of this passage, and it is an incredible truth. It's this. Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior for hungry sinners. Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior for hungry sinners. And there's three aspects of our all-sufficient Savior that are really, really good news. Really good news for hungry, for needy sinners like us. First, he welcomes the, spiritual, the spiritually hungry in verses 10 and 11. He welcomes the spiritually hungry. Look at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. And so the apostles... They come back ministering on their own. They come back because they're accountable to Christ, just like we are. I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if it's feedback, but let me know if I need to go to this, because that'll be fine. Keep going? Okay. So they're ministering for Christ, and they, they're coming back, they're, they're they're having this interaction of, with Christ, and they are tired. They are wiped out, and Jesus is tired, and he's discouraged in the sense that he's just heard about the death of, his, of John the Baptist. He's got that on his heart and his mind. He says, I'll tell you what, it's been a long ministry time. Let's go away. So he withdraws with his 12 to a place where that they can rest, they can get away together, they can regroup They can spend time together, a a wonderful time of sitting, right, with the 12, with Jesus, can you imagine? Um, Getting that feedback on their ministry, that accountability. Talk about leadership development. You wouldn't want this to end, withdrawing with Jesus. A much-needed rest. But notice what happens. Verse 11, but... In contrast to what's happening, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. The parallel passages of the feeding of the 5,000 say that they ran on foot from all the cities and Jesus has withdrawn with his disciples and they're, they're having this great leadership development, rest time, and he sees the crowd coming from a distance. I don't know what's going through their minds, but Jesus, the parallel passages say, when he sees them, he is moved with compassion for the crowds because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And so what does Jesus do? The text tells us, Jesus, I love this word, and welcoming them, and welcoming them. Jesus was tired. Jesus had training to do. Jesus had a plan of leadership development. In respect to his humanity, the plans of the Christ were interrupted. The disciples, they needed rest. They wanted feedback. 
They wanted leadership development. They were tired. They wanted to spend time with the Lord. They had plans. The disciples' plans were interrupted. But the crowd. But the needy. And he welcomed them. And we are to see that we serve a Savior who welcomes hungry sinner. We are to see that we serve a Savior who's not upset around needy people. He's not too busy. He's not too tired. He's not disinterested. He welcomes the needy and delights in saving hungry sinners. Now, let's, let's drive this home. Jesus is the all-sufficient provision for life and ministry. Jesus is exhausted. John the Baptist's death weighs heavy on him, and yet he's moved with compassion. He models compassion for his disciples and for us, and we are becoming like Christ. And so, Christian, be ready for people to interrupt your plans. Reach out to them. Show them compassion. I know what tired is like. I know you're wiped out. I know, frankly, we're confused about a great many things. We need some feedback. But just keep on welcoming needy sinners into your life. Serve others with the compassion of Christ. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Amen. I hope we continue to preach straight truth from this pulpit and in the ministries of this church. But may the heart of the ministry at Grace Community Bible Church be the heart of Christ who welcomes hungry sinners. Now, I want you to notice the all-sufficient provision of Jesus for salvation here because it always moves to spiritual salvation. People are coming to Jesus. They're running to Him. So I want to apply this to salvation. And I want you to know, sinner, we're all sinful people. We're all hurting, hungry spiritually. We're all broken and needy. And, and we wonder sometimes with our backgrounds, with our past, with our guilt, with our track record, with our failure, whether Jesus will welcome us, whether He can possibly welcome you. And even as a Christian, as you go back to your sin again, will He welcome you? Will He forgive you yet again? And the answer is, that's what He's best at. As Jim preached, He's gentle and lowly of heart. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That is spiritually hungry. He welcomes hungry sinners. He welcomes us. Don't get a picture of Jesus, sinner. Don't get a picture of Jesus with a scowl on his face, with his arms crossed. That's not the Savior we serve. We serve a Savior who welcomes At any hour of the day, hungry sinners. As J.C. Ryle said, Jesus himself is ever full of pity, ever kind, ever ready to show mercy, even to the unthankful and the evil. 
He still pities them, still cares for them, still feels for their helplessness and need. And He calls you to come. We learned for the first time, come. And as a Christian, to keep coming and find your rest to a gentle Savior who welcomes the spiritually hungry. The second aspect of our all-sufficient Savior and such good news for hungry sinners like us is He feeds the spiritually hungry. Verses 12 through 16. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to Him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. So, they're now they're really tired. He's been now ministering all day, preaching, and they've been healing, and the sun is setting. The day is wearing out, literally, and the disciples are sort of filling Jesus in as to the need of the moment, that the people are hungry. They don't have lodging out in the wilderness. They should go back to the city. They should find, you know, a Motel 6 and get some food. Get some rest. And so they, that's their logical solution. Jesus, I don't know if he was smiling at this point, but he takes his opportunity. He knows what's going on, and he's all about training and equipping in this passage. Don't forget, that's the theme of this passage, in, including his identity. So he sees an opportunity for training the twelve. And so what does he say? Verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. It's very emphatic in the Greek text. You do it. Men, you provide to them. And I can just see Jesus be quiet, and the training has begun. And I think we can relate so much to us. It doesn't dawn on us who we are talking to when we are thinking like this. Does it? And notice what they say to Jesus. Well, they're kind of, they said to him, well, okay, we have no more than five loaves and two fish because the parallel passages, they found a little boy who had a little lunch, a little sack lunch, measly five loaves and two fish in the other text. But unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, for there are about 5,000 men, which doesn't include if, uh, women and children. So 15 to 20,000 people were gathered on the grass out there away from the towns. How in the world, you do it, how in the world are we supposed to feed 15,000 people? Well, all I can think of is maybe to collect, you know, money and go buy some food, but it's getting dark already. And even, even if we had 20, 200 denarii, which we don't, Jesus, Andrew says in a parallel passage, they wouldn't each even get a nibble of food. We wouldn't be able to do it. So, the resources that they have to fulfill what Jesus says, you give them something to eat. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. They don't have the resources for it. 
it is not possible. The resources they have are pathetic and measly morsels. Jesus wants them to see this. He's got them right where he wants them, but the light bulb does not go off in their minds. So Jesus is done training with words, and he starts training by actions. Now he's going to disclose himself and his identity. Identity and disclosure that's greater than anyone had ever seen. A miracle of, of proportions that is greater than any of the individual miracles we have seen so, so far. And there's a miracle that culminates the Galilean ministry before he sets his eyes south to go to Jerusalem. This is a crucial, self-disclosing miracle in the feeding of the 5,000. Let's read about it. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. Verse 15, they did so and had them all sit down. Then he took five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. So Jesus is praying and giving thanks and he's got the two fish, he's got the five loaves, and, and Jesus begins to break the bread, break the fish off, and distribute it, give it to his disciples, and, and in an organized fashion, groups of 50, to make it easy to administrate, he distributes the food, and Jesus keeps on breaking. The verb tense is incredible, it's just a repetitive he just keeps, did you see it? He just keeps on breaking. He keeps on breaking. He keeps on breaking. He keeps on, he can't stop breaking, breaking. So Jesus miraculously created bread and fish. Who distributed the food? The disciples distributed the food. The disciples are the ones who fed the people sitting there. Did you notice that? Jesus is testing them. He's training them and us. He's showing that He is the all-sufficient provision. And He wants us to believe that He is the all-sufficient provision for life and ministry. Now, Jesus, if you come to him, he welcomes you. And if you come to him, he'll feed you. He'll feed you. He, feed, he feeds the spiritually hungry. And we are to remember this about our Christ. Believers, I know you are facing uh, impossible situations. Barb Germanson faces an impossible situation. It's easy to look at our resources, our, and, and if we look at our resources, we don't have enough. Jesus has got us right where he wants us. He's testing us. He's training us. 
He calls us to trust Him in our impossible situations, that He is compassionate, He understands, He is in control, He has the power. We don't control, have the resources, or the power. Is the light bulb going off? It did for me. Going through this passage. I don't have enough talent. You don't have enough money. We don't. Jesus says, good. I'm glad you have that figured out. I'm more than enough for you. I am powerful and sufficient for everything. You must trust me. A bill comes in and you cannot pay it. Trust Jesus. A health problem. The doctors can't figure it out. The cost is overwhelming. You must trust me, Jesus says. Your work is cutting back. You're next in line to go. You've got to trust. Your children are not following the Lord, and nothing you say or do will convince them. You got nothing. They're not interested. You must trust me. What will the disciples do? How are they, how are they going to do this? How are we going to do this? One pastor said, well, quotes, we don't necessarily think back to how competent and providing Jesus has always been before. We have to learn all over again a very basic truth, the sufficiency of Jesus. End quotes. Jesus has the power to provide for his own, to take care of his own. We think of our own training for ministry as missionaries or pastors or all of us as making disciples of Jesus Christ, using our spiritual gifts in the context of this church. We can't do this on our own. Yes, Jesus gives us the privilege. You give them something to eat. These disciples distributed the food to people. What a privilege to be involved in the spiritual ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But how quick we are to scheme and to figure out in the flesh how in the world we're going to feed the spiritual needs of these people. And yet Jesus allows us to be involved. But he's trying to teach us something. To show us that what we have to give is not from us. It's not us. It's not our strength. It's not our provision. It's not our power by which we minister. We are inadequate. We are insufficient. We must depend upon Christ. He wants us dependent upon him for life, for ministry. And secondly, as we look at this point, the all-sufficient Christ for salvation. Listen, let's apply this to salvation. Are you, from this text, the food that Jesus gives, are you sufficient to save yourself from this passage? You got nothing. It's impossible. Salvation is of the Lord. 
Think about this miracle. 5,000 men and women and children, five loaves and two fish. Impossible. Salvation is impossible with men. Salvation is of the Lord. God's own right arm must save us. God himself must incarnate and come down into the muck of sin and rescue us. God must save. And God alone. That is the self-disclosure in this passage. And scholars can't handle it. I wonder if we can I mean, you should see what the liberal scholars do with this passage. I mean, here's some theories. This was a fraud, they was, but they were by a cave. They've got their caves in their archaeology. He hid a whole load of, he had hidden somehow, a whole load of fishes and loaves, and there was somehow a secret opening concealed. His long flowing robe was somehow like a magician continually pulling out food out of his sleeves from the hidden cave. Or other unbelieving scholars, even prominent ones such as the prominent William Barclay, believes that what happened was this little boy came forward and in a flood of compassion that took over the crowd, everyone began with tears weeping down their cheeks to pull out other little lunch boxes together so that the people were fed. Because liberal scholars understand, and the disciples understood, and I hope you understand, no one can do this but God alone. This is a miracle of divine power. God in the flesh, creating barley and fish out of thin air. Unadulterated created power. This miracle proves the deity of Jesus Christ. There are no ovens here. There are no, there's no time for rising bread. There's no fishing lines or bait. There's pure creative power. Just like let there be light and there was light. This is the creator of the world that is standing among. This isn't just restoration or rejuvenation like the paralytic. This is not resuscitation like Lazarus. This is divine creation. This is God at work. And we are to see that we need God to work. If hungry sinners are going to be saved, God must work in Christ. It's Christ. The spiritually hungry cannot feed themselves. They cannot provide for themselves. Look at all the world religions. Muhammad cannot provide for you. Buddha can't get the job done. Elon Musk can't provide for you. Only the Creator God can bring in everlasting spiritual sustenance for hungry sinners. And His name is Jesus Christ. God, Yahweh, took upon flesh the Lord of creation. That's why He does not rebuke us if we fall at His feet and worship Him. He does not rebuke us. 
so that we can say with John and the living creatures in Revelation chapter 4, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were creating. So Luke is teaching us that Jesus is the all-sufficient provision because salvation is of the Lord. And God has come, and He has the compassion and the power to satisfy hungry sinners who see their need of Him. Not just sinners. Jesus doesn't satisfy sinners. Jesus satisfies hungry sinners. Hunger to be free from the guilt and the burden of sin. The helplessness and the hopelessness. They see the danger they're in because of their sin. And that leads us finally to the third aspect of our glorious, all-sufficient Savior, that such good news, such good news for hungry sinners like us. Number three, He satisfies the spiritually hungry in verse 17. He satisfies the spiritually hungry. Verse 17, look at it, amazing verse. And they all ate, so all 15, 20,000, they all ate, and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up 12 baskets full. So they all, in their groups of 50, the food kept coming, and they kept eating, and they didn't just get one little measly, measly bite. They all ate. All. All ate until they were satisfied, until they were full. This Greek word, translated satisfied, good word, good translation. This word satisfied was used to describe the fattening up of animals. And so what the farmers would do is that they would really feed them. They would gorge themselves, these animals, so that they could eat no more. The idea is that they really, they ate. They were satisfied. They ate till they were full until they could eat no more. Got it? The picture? My family doesn't know much about this, so I have nine children. Um, so from time to time we go to restaurants, and, and it's just sort of pathetic. You know, you, we're going to split this meal four different ways, and everybody gets their precious $5 bite <laughs> of food. However, we discovered the restaurant that solved all of our problems, it was called The Tavern in Northfield. Problem, it's closed. So sad. But we would go on a Saturday morning, I'd have all nine of the kids at the time, that was the, back when it was open, and we'd drive to Northfield to the tavern, and I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating, we would order two eggs, hash browns, bacon, sourdough toast for four bucks tax included. And we would order five of them for our family for 20 bucks. And we would eat. And we would all eat until we were satisfied. There weren't leftovers. But I would feel so bad to take all that food for 20 bucks as I would straighten up the table and clean the table up. <laughs> kind of wave and say, we'll be back next Saturday. I think that's why they closed, but I'm not sure. 
This is how they felt. They ate until they were full, and they actually had leftovers. What is the lesson of the leftovers? It's that Jesus is not just going to get you barely home or just barely enough for you, or you might be just a little too much. for. He is more than enough for your salvation. If you have Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection power, if you have Him and He is in you and you are in Him and you have consumed the Christ by faith, He is enough for you. He is more than enough for you. And there's another lesson in the leftovers. Why did you think there were 12? It's a training text. It's a training text. How many disciples were there? I think that's the interpretation. Uh, one of the reasons for the 12 is each one of them said, look, there's enough for you as well. And by the way, there's a lesson that everything that you're going to give away from your baskets, from your life, is going to come from my hand every step of the way as you fulfill the great commission and the birth of the church. They never forgot this. It reminds me of the provision of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let's drive this home, this last point. Jesus is the all-sufficient provision as we think about the full satisfaction he brings for life and ministry. Brothers and sisters, let us be filled and be content having Jesus and knowing that he is Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. For my God, as Paul wrote, will shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's sufficient for anything that you will face in this life. He, it's, you're not going to be short where you have to add to it, whether it's rejection or accusations or misunderstandings or failures or discouragement or job loss or cancer or anything. Christ is sufficient for me. He's sufficient for you. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, said this, quotes, God helped me today. He'll do the same tomorrow. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Now, in our ministries then, that's our life, but in our ministries, listen carefully, we set before people what Jesus has provided for their souls. Jesus creates the bread. He gives it to them to distribute. You're just a distributor, right? But we get to be. What a privilege. But it's Christ. The only thing we have to offer is what Christ gives to people through us. He's this all-sufficient provision then for all of life, for all of this ministry, for all of your ministries. He's the all-sufficient provision for those ministries. Right? 
sufficiency. Now let's go to the final connection. He's the all-sufficient provision for salvation, this whole satisfaction. Let's make a connection. I think you already know it, but it's in the Bible, and you have to see this. What's the food that Jesus gives that satisfies the spiritually hungry? This satisfies the burdened sinners who know that if they don't have God, if they don't have God saving them, that they will die eternally. That they'll be lost in a place called hell. If they're not rescued from their sin. What is it? What is this food? Keep your finger in Luke chapter 9. Take your Bibles and turn to the passage that Bobby read in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, find verse 51. What is this food? John chapter 6, verse 51. This again was spoken just after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They're all excited that they're going to have a perpetual ending supply of bread from Christ. He's like, here, here's kind of the whole point of this, of this. And he says this in verse 51, I am, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is the bread? Who is the bread? It's Christ. He wasn't so much interested in their diet. He was interested spiritually more than anything. So the provision that Jesus gives hungry sinners is himself. For salvation, a hungry sinner in need of salvation, the provision that the Bible, that God holds out to you is only Jesus Christ. No other way of nutrition or sustenance or spiritual elixir will save you. Nothing. You can try, try any religion of the world. You will, you will, it will be bankrupt, and you'll end up in hell paying for your own sins. There is one food that satisfies. His name is Jesus. I mean, people are trying to be satisfied in so many different ways. Eating the bread of entertainment, eating the bread of success, eating the bread of pleasure, eating the bread of works, eating the bread of ritual, and none of this will satisfy. Maybe you'll get a little nice taste in your mouth for a minute, but it will not eternally satisfy. It will not save. You will be starving. In reality, you'll be starving in about a week, but you'll be starving for all of eternity with any other food other than Christ. You must consume the Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, let's find out what I mean by that. Jesus tells us in John 6, you're there, so look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So what is coming to Christ? What is the the eating and the drinking in this passage? It is believing in Christ, coming to Christ. How do you consume the Christ? You believe upon the Christ. You come to Christ and believe upon Him. Look at verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, in the context, he's just told us what we mean by eat of it, that is to come to Jesus, believe upon Him. That is the work that we must work, to believe upon Him. That is consuming the Christ. He is the living, and, and the life that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is not saying we literally eat His flesh. Consuming the Christ is believing in Jesus, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. So when and let's just read about it. Then the Jews began, verse 52, the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him." And so we know that it's not literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. How many people have misunderstood that text when in the context he's defined it? And yet what he is saying is not just his head knowledge. Believing in Christ is assimilating the Christ. It's consuming the Christ. He comes, he's within us, we're within him. He becomes part of every cell of our body. We believe into him and he into us. So his death is our death. His resurrection life is our life. His righteousness is our righteousness. We are in Him. He in His life. We are satisfied in Him because it's His eternal life. It's the abundant life of Christ. Verse 58, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the all-sufficient provision for salvation from sin. Now, now listen. I'm gonna. I gotta press this home. When Jesus, when his flesh was broken like the bread upon the cross of Calvary for you and for me, as he in his own body consumed our sin upon the cross of Calvary. In six hours, because he was fully God, we saw in this passage, he could do that. He could finish it. He said at the end, it is finished. And so, if you come to him, he'll feed you what you need himself. His substitutionary death, His perfect righteousness, He'll give it to you. And let me tell you, He's more than enough because when He said, it is finished, He was speaking about your sin. 
When he said, it is finished, he was speaking about your death. And when he rose up out of the grave, he proved that it indeed was finished and that your salvation is finished. And so because he died and rose again and ever lives to intercede for you, you have to understand just how sufficient your salvation is united to Christ by faith. It is an all-sufficient salvation now and forever. Christ alone satisfies the spiritually hungry. But the question I have for you is, are you spiritually hungry? Are you just playing games, packed full of head knowledge? Kids, listen to me. I know you get intellectually that you're a sinner, but do you feel your hunger and your need for Christ? That you just know that if you don't get connected to Christ by faith, if you don't believe upon Him, you're going to be in trouble, stuck with your own sins, with no one to help you. I would just say, if that's who you are and you're just not certain, you don't got to run through a bunch of hoops. The text says, come to Jesus. Believe upon Him. So if you're hungry, spiritually, this morning, right now, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Come and consume the Christ. Trust that he is enough for you. His death and his life is enough for you. Everyone here, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, including believers, believer, he's enough. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, 